Hi, this is John Leahy. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. Big thanks to my guest last week, longtime voice of Hockey Night in Canada and the voice of the National Hockey League on Sportsnet in Canada, Chris Cuthbert. I'd like to welcome in my guest this week, success coach Michelle Quay. And next week on the podcast, we'll be joined by the longtime writer for the Lowell Sun, UMass Lowell Riverhawk hockey color commentator, and longtime historian of the Lowell Spinners and musician, Jazz Goggins. So we invite you to sit back and enjoy this week's episode of the podcast with Michelle Quay. everyone, welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. My name is John Leahy. Thanks so much for being with us on the podcast again this week. We've had a, a tremendous uh, time over the last uh, few weeks. We've been talking to uh, broadcasters from the National Hockey League and our guest last week. I'd like to thank him uh, from uh, the great country of Canada. Chris Cuthbert was kind enough to join us uh, and we had a wonderful talk with Chris. So if you missed that episode or any uh, previous episodes we've had, I encourage you to, to tune in. Also, if you'd like to subscribe uh, to the podcast, we'd love to have you. Uh, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or pretty much uh, any place that uh, podcasts are heard. So we've had a terrific time uh, here over the last several weeks. We're going to continue uh, this week. We have a very special guest joining us from the state of California, Southern California, Michelle Quay, and uh, she is a motivational keynote speaker. She's a visibility confident coach, a meditation and mindfulness teacher, a lot of things she's involved with. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, how to feel good uh, in the episode this week. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the ways we talk to ourselves and how that influences how we behave. So, uh, Michelle, I'd like to welcome you on to the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, you know, it's a pleasure having you, and, and I thought we would start by talking a little bit about your background. Now, you're originally from Taiwan, and uh, you, you immigrated here to America. So uh, tell us how that all kind of started and what, what influenced your your pathway to come to America? Yeah, I would say as a, as a child, as a teenager, I came to America when I was 15. And it wasn't so much of a personal choice, rather it was a family choice. Um, so I have my grandparents, they were both um, here already. They've been here in the United States for um, a good 20, 20 years uh, before they started to apply my mom to get her uh, legal 
legal status and my mom my parents basically said you know what this is um this is for us there's greater opportunity in america and i think it's true for a lot of immigrants we're looking for opportunity and that opportunity oftentimes um has to do with the education the job opportunity and just having the opportunity without the competition that's currently going on in the asian country um there's a lot i mean it's overpopulated so of course the competition is really extremely high um so my parents were looking for that opportunity to to provide us with a better education so that there's that equality that that plays a role here um and one of the one of the uh disadvantages that i had as a child in my teenage years um when i was 15 i came to the country when i was 15 yep. but earlier in life you know i had i had a car accident so i'm physically disabled so my parents also took that into consideration i may not be able to compete with all these other um i'll call it a normal individual in taiwan so they're starting to planning ahead for me to making sure that i have the equal opportunity as compared to everyone so that was the whole reason why we started to look into yes you know we do want to come to america and and it was a big leap because for my parents they were in their 40s at that time and and now i'm i am in my 40 i think about oh do i want to move do i want to go to another state do i want to travel uh, chances are no the answer is no in 40 we're looking for that stability so i really I am so grateful for my parents to actually take a leap of faith and decided to move the whole entire family to a foreign country where they don't speak English at all. So I give them a lot of credit for doing being brave and getting out there and getting what they want, what they desire. So that's that's how I'm I'm here. Well, you know, you you brought up your car accident. Uh, that happened uh, when you were 11 and uh, certainly a traumatic event in your life. Did did that uh have any uh, impact on you and and you know just the way in which you you went about you know being empowered, you know, that that's a situation obviously where you know it can be life-threatening, but what what impact did that car accident have on you and and in your decision making? I'm a person who believes everything happened for a reason. And we are not who we are today without all these past life experiences. Whether it's happy experience or something that was sad and tragic. So I would say a lot of how I am today has to do with the the car accident that had took place and that had happened. So going through that journey as someone who was spending a lot of time in the hospital, going through in and out of surgeries and and coming out of that experience you know I'm physically I'm permanently disabled I have I walk with two crutches I probably is the same height as I was in 15 years old so I never grew <laughs> from my from my height right. and that with that experience there's a lot of um body shaming and just looking poorly to myself and never really recognize my true gift and and I think a lot of what the culture and the society the family has seen me was that you have to be in certain way or you have to live up into certain expectations in order to be seen as uh accepted into a society so the self acceptance and even the acceptance to the society of the environment around me it was challenging but i would i would say that through those challenges 
I have learned many, many different things. There's many values, but if I were to narrow down to just one specific values that I hold dearly in my heart is the value of being authentic or just being real. Right. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah, I think being real, being real is speaks so many different ways in life, in business, and how I speak to people, how I interact with others. Uh, being real is such a big value for me. Absolutely. And, you know, you wrote a book which talked about your experiences uh, immigrating over here to the United States. It's called uh, An Immigrant Story of Making It in America. And uh, I imagine that, you know, in that book you discussed a lot of the challenges th that you had to face in coming over here and, you know, overcoming uh, the 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 way that that people respond uh you know to people with disabilities i mean uh, children can be very cruel i mean we 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 know of that and uh you know so i, I imagine you know the, the book really talks uh, about uh the the challenges that you've had to overcome is that correct yes so it's a memoir where i describe my journey when i was born in taiwan and going through the injury and it also uh, touched on my adulthood, how I got into relationship. And, and I think looking back into that book, one of the biggest things that I have noticed I've written down is that sense of loss uh, of self-identity. Somewhere along the line, I started to lose myself and I wasn't sure who I am. And on that journey, it was a really um, deep self-discovery in terms of recognizing Michelle, you do have a purpose in this life. And right. Michelle, you, can, you are capable of doing what others are doing, and maybe even more, even bigger. So why are you stuck on the idea of not being good enough, not being pretty enough, not being tall enough? Your enoughness is enough. Right, right. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned, uh, I was reading your bio, you're a visibility confident coach. Uh, well, what does that involve, actually? Yeah, so it's a it's the idea of getting business owner. I work specifically with women coaches to get them to go out there and start marketing. And I use the word marketing themselves very cautiously because a lot of us don't like that idea of selling ourselves. Or you know, we're trying to be humble and staying low key. We don't want to let people feel that we're egotistic. Um, so a lot of us actually are doing a disservice to the people who are who need to be there to listen to us, who need to be there to working with us. Um, so I'm helping those coaches to gain that visibility by just showing up for their business. And what I mean is you're going to write the content, valuable content that speaks to your ideal client. You're going to uh, make videos and being able to stand on the stage and talk about your vulnerability, talk about the, what made you, what inspired you to become a coach. And that's how people come and find you. That's how people are going to be able to connect with you. So if we, for any given reason, we continue to hide behind the curtain or we refuse to get up to the stage and talk about how our struggle had made us the person who we are today, then we're be really being selfish. I mean, that's not answering purpose to me. That's more like, you know, I'm going to continue to hide and play small so that I don't have to be, I don't have to feel, feel experience that failing. I don't have to be rejected by my, by my client, by my customer, by, by anyone who I love. Um, so, I started to help them because that was something that I was struggling with. 
I was struggling to get out there to get seen, get heard. And that sense of belonging was so important to me that I was doing everything possible to please someone else, to please everybody else, except, you know, really honoring who I am. Right. Now, you know, what you're describing sounds very relevant to, you know, my situation. I'm, I'm not only am I a content, uh, content creator, but, you know, I, I do sportscasting for a living and, and I'm also a musician. And, you know, sometimes you have to deal with things like, you know, stage fright, you know, singing in front of people. Is that something also that, that, that you do just, you know, just to kind of help people feel better about themselves, uh, overcoming their fears like that? Yeah, it's interesting how you said the stage fright, because when we think about stage fright, it's usually a sense of fear. Something is going on, we're afraid to do something. Right. Um, but when it comes to fear, you know, there's two ways that we can deal with fear. One is to keep hiding, right. um, and that's being selfish, or we can actually recognize the fear and have the fear turn into something that's even more powerful, something that's working for us. So instead of thinking fear as our enemy, think of fear as our motivational uh, motivator. Mm -hmm. Because without the fear, chances are we're probably not going to be able to do a lot of things. I am afraid to fall from the bike. But you know what? I am going to ride the bike anyway because when I'm looking at the, the feeling I get, from riding the bike, I will be out there. It feels like I'm flying on the bike. Right. I'm going to give it a try. Mm -hmm. So I think people are stumble or stuck on the idea of, you know, taking that little first step. It means that I'm going to fail. It means that I'm going to break. It means that I'm going to get hurt. So instead of thinking that, a lot of how I help um, women coaches is to look at the overall, the bigger picture. The bigger picture of the fact that you are here and you have a broadcasting uh, podcast, you're a musician, the bigger purpose of why we're doing this is because there's something, someone out there who needs to listen, who's looking for you, mm -hmm. who's looking to hear your music, and your music is going to inspire them. Right. Your podcast is going to inspire them. There's someone out there who needs your help. That's a great way to look at things. And uh, I also noticed that uh, you're involved with meditation and mindfulness. Um, what is the difference between mindfulness and contrasting uh, absent-mindedness? Is, is, are they polar opposites from each other? I don't believe there is such a thing as absent-minded. <laughs> I think we're constantly thinking. And there is actually a study out there that, that shows that any given moment, we're actually running through 70,000 ideas every single moment. The majority of them are very negative. They're very self-sabotaging ideas or negative self-talk. So there's no such thing as absent-minded. We can all be mindful and being able to work with our ideas so that it becomes an empowerment rather than um, something that is debilitating, something that's negative. So recognizing those thoughts and turning them into just fading in the background as you're going through your day and knowing that no matter what voice is turning on to speak to you in a very negative way, there's actually a lot of information about that. So be curious about these negative voice that shows up. What is it really saying about, about what you're about to do? Right. Chances are it's about you taking a, 
a bigger, bolder risk or bigger, bolder move that is going to create a lot of opportunity for you. Well, I do want to uh, touch on that uh, shortly, but uh, I guess when I was speaking about absent-mindedness, I was referring to, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a memory concept. I had a memory expert on uh, last month, and we were talking about it. And uh, when you're when you're when you go to do something, like for example, when you when you put your pencil behind your ear, and then you forget where you put the pencil, or when you know when you're when you go into the refrigerator and you look for something and you forget what you're looking for, you know, I guess that was the context I was thinking about absent-mindedness. Mm. But you know, that's that's certainly a new way of looking at it, the way you described it. Mm-hmm. I, I look at it as passion. If you have a pencil behind your ears, you probably got distracted to something that was really needed your attention the most and yeah. that you're so passionate about it that you forgot that there's a pencil behind your ear. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much about absent-minded. It's about how to engage an activity and you show up with um, just energetically 100% being there, being mm-hmm. in that present moment that you forgot what you were doing the, the minute yeah. before. So let's, t- let's talk about some of the coaching you're involved with. You're an associate certified coach, a certified professional coach. You, you also founded uh, Elevate Life Coaching. Uh, talk about you know, how rewarding that is for you and, and what types of issues you focus on as a professional coach. I focus primarily on helping other coaches to define their niche. Uh, we call it a niche. Some, some people call it a niche. depending on where you come from it could be niche niche um so but it comes down to knowing exactly who we are serving with what and how we're serving um a lot of what i do for coaches is we actually go down to the foundation of who you truly are in your business I, i i believe when you are building a coaching business or building any type of business the foundation is really having a deep understanding of who you are, what are your values, what is your brand identity, what is your self-identity of how you're going to show up in your business, because that is going to translate to the content that you create, it's going to translate the, the images that you post on social media, it's going to translate into the, how you communicate with your clients or prospects, and that is going to lead into um, a building a relationship. And I never like to call um, what I'm doing as something that's transactional. I'm I'm building a relationship with all these coaches, and I love to see them shine. So there's a moment where um, I'm sitting across them uh, on a Zoom call, and their their eyes just pop when I talk about uh, you, your niche, your ideal avatar your ideal client is really that image of how you were struggling and all these struggles that you have experienced in the past whether it's depression anxiety anything that you're you're trying to help people with those are the same pain point that your 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 ideal client is experiencing right now but if you were to meet them on the top level and then say you know what um uh once we start finishing the coaching you're gonna get x y and z they're not able to, they can't relate to you in that way. So I'm helping them to really get down to understanding who they are, defining their self-identity so that they can go out there and having the right language to speak to the clients. Very interesting. And, you know, I have to touch on this with you also. You are the Division A Director at Toastmasters International District 100. I bring this up because 
my wife is actually in Toastmasters, and she's quite decorated uh, in in her uh, Toastmasters career. So how has that helped you? And you know, how does that basically help others for those that aren't familiar with Toastmasters? So Toastmasters, just to give the listener a little background, it's a nonprofit organization where they their mission is to help uh, facilitating public speaking, communication, leadership, um, and confidence. So when I got into Toastmasters, when I became a member at Toastmasters, I was looking for uh, a way to really help myself to become a better public speaker. As a public speaker, a lot of time we stand on the stage and we get nervous, we get anxious, and we start using a lot of and so, um, you know, those filler words. And as a listener, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll notice that if the speaker uses a lot of and um, so, after a while, you get really exhausted. Yep. You're thinking, oh, enough so already. Stop starting <laughs> every sentence with a so, right? That's what the listener would be thinking. That's how I was thinking when I hear speakers struggling with that. So I didn't want to be that person where I'm exhausting my listener. I want to be able to inspire them, to provide them with value. So I got myself into Toastmasters and I started uh, public speaking and I just use it on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got I got the counter on. I'm counting you. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) So I got into the uh, public speaking arena because it's something that I've become so passionate about. And thanks to Toastmasters, there's so many values in, in Toastmasters. You're, you're making better connections. You learn how to communicate well. And you learn to how to listening. Because during the meeting, we also uh, pick up the role as an evaluator. And as an evaluator, I get to practice my listening skills. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, it's valuable to really truly understand and listen to your client so that your coaching session become more even more powerful instead of you just keeping on talking um so that i i i cannot speak enough about toastmasters and how great toastmasters is you know i have a sign here in my home studio it says slow down no ahs ums or fillers it just to kind of keep myself aware of it. How can, just one more final question on Toastmasters, how can people become aware that they're using these filler words? Because, you know, I want to get rid of that bad vocal habit. How can people become more aware that they're using these filler words? I, I believe that everything starts with a why. So I would start with why is, this, why is getting rid of these filler words important to you? What would that do for you? What would that, how would that change what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. Would it make it more powerful? Would it make it more uh, next level? Why do you want to start in the first place? Once you understand the why, then you have the motivator of, okay, so I am going out of my way to get, make this work. And a couple of things. I think if someone who is getting ready to out, go out there and doing more videos, for example, right now there's a lot of go live on Facebook. If someone is looking into doing video, I would highly recommend to record yourself Mm -hmm. as you're speaking. And cell phone nowadays, it's so convenient. You just turn on the camera and record how you're speaking. And also tap into your network. Ask your friend, can you you listen to how I speak? And just count. Just count for me how many arms, so how many followers have I used? Can you help me with that? And asking for support, asking for help is really really is um, very valuable 
it, it you also have a better connection. Your friends start to notice how you're speaking, and they can actually be your true uh, assessor to assess you whether or not you're improving in that area. So record yourself and ask your friend. Right, and I've also learned that uh, silence is good. If you take a pause instead of uh, consciously using those words, that, that can help as well. So I've picked up a little bit peripherally from my wife and the Toastmasters, but it, it's a really great organization. I wanted to move on a little bit to talk about your decision to help coaches and entrepreneurs. I know you mentioned you work a lot with women. Uh, was that a conscious choice of yours to, to focus on women, or do you deal with men as well? What went into that thought process? I, I do. I do have uh, clients who are men who come to me and needed help with the uh, visibility confidence. But majority of them are women. I believe when I came up with narrowing down to who I'm helping, I had this image of myself back when I first started my business. I was struggling with a lot of visibility. I didn't know how to create content that actually speaks to the clients. I didn't know how to uh, have a social media plan or how even to structure my business, period. So I decided, you know, if that was something that I was struggling with, I'm sure there's someone else out there who's also struggling with the same thing. And I, when I had that picture, I had that as a woman, not, not as a man. But I do work with men uh, coaches who come to me and they really resonate it with the things that I do. Right. Great stuff. So uh, let's see. I hope I've touched on everything on your bio. I notice you're also a clinical pharmacist at uh, the Keck Medical Center at the University of Southern California. So, uh, you know, is that something that you studied for as a side, uh, as, as sort of a side aspect to what you're doing? That was the mainstream of my income for the last 20 years. I started off as a pharmacist, um, but then I noticed that pharmacy was really burning me up. It was burning my life. It was burning every single bit of my relationship with my family and the time that I have. And that was also the time where I started to realize that this is something that I don't want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to live my life this way. And I was, you know, constantly waking up in the middle of the night, feeling sorry for myself. I get really stressed out. And it comes to a point where I needed a change. And that one of the changes led to um, going into coaching program and started getting certified. And I don't want to do pharmacy anymore. <laughs> okay. It was to the point where, you know what, I'm done with pharmacy. I think it's just something that would bring in the income until I become... Fully, I see. Fully staffed and fully uh, uh, working on the coaching aspect. Yeah, so it was kind of a transitional bridge to where you're where you're focusing on now. Correct. All right. So uh, my name is John Leahy. This is airing it out. Files from Leahy's locker room. We're talking with Michelle Quay. She has been uh, kind enough to kind enough to join us from uh, sunny Los Angeles, California. And uh, we're going to talk, uh, near the end of the episode, we're going to talk about uh, Michelle's podcast and her Facebook show. But I'd like to get into a couple of the topics that I wanted to address today. And, Michelle, one of them is about self-talk, how we talk to ourselves. Uh, you know, I'm, I graduated with a degree in psychology myself, and one of the areas of psychology that has always been interesting to me is cognitive psychology and uh, memory. I had... Uh, 
I had a 95-year-old man on last month, Harry Lorraine, who was the world's uh, most foremost memory uh, expert. We had a wonderful, wonderful talk. But I'd like to talk a little bit about how we talk to ourselves. And let's start by exploring the, the relationship between our thoughts and our feelings. You know, as a cognitive psychology guy, uh, I really believe that our feelings are totally influenced by our thoughts. We can't have a feeling without having a thought that preceded it. So I wonder if you could just talk for a minute about the importance of that relationship between what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you 100% that our feeling has a lot to do with the way that we're thinking. And I also believe that it's an interchangeable relationship. So the way that we're thinking can actually lead to the way that we feel, which ultimately would result in an action or behavior that we end up having. So the way that I was trained is through an energy leadership um, um, concept. So the energy leadership focuses on a a lot of these uh, background uh, cognitive therapy, and it focuses on how our thoughts can lead to a feeling, and our feeling can dictate the behavior that we're in. So there are a total of seven different levels or perspectives that any individual can have at any given moment. So the first level or the very bottom of the level is that victim mind thinking. So as someone who is experiencing a victim-minded thinking, chances are you're feeling very withdrawn, your apathy, you don't you feel sad or depressed. So the result of that action is there is no action. You're probably so debilitated that you refuse to get up in the morning or getting out of your bed. Right. So that's the thoughts of victim mind feeling sad or depressed and there's no actions. So that's the very first level. And then you move on to the second level, which is the um, the conflict conflicting mode. The conflict mind would be someone who is experiencing a lot of uh, thinking uh, agitated or someone who's angry, someone perce- perceives something as a challenge and therefore uh, we put on that fight and flight mode to fight back. And the result, the action that leads to this is is either you pick up the stuff and just get it done. And this, this happened in a lot of corporate environment or office environment where, you know, the manager walk in and there's nothing got done, angry and there's a uh, feeling of agitation. What do you do? You pick up the work. I guess I just have to do it myself. So you start picking up a lot of work and the, ultimately you feel overwhelmed. And you move, you move through the ladder, so there's a total of seven. You move into uh, tolerance or taking personal responsibility, which is the next level. Following that would be the compassion. You start providing a service, coming out from a heart of service. And then the fifth level would be the opportunity. And seven, uh, the sixth level would be co- co-creation. So each one of us will bring in some talents, and we can do this together. And the last level is the level of wisdom. Everything that exists in the universe is just the way it is. And it is the, the man, us, human, pressing our judgment upon all how we perceive things is going to dictate and change how we react and respond to a situation. So if we can approach it from a non-judgment, a wisdom level, then everything just as it is, as it needs to take its course. So you're not, you stop taking a lot of interpretation, a lot of those uh, pressing on self-limiting beliefs, and you start to approach things from a more calm and peace level. And the way that you behave is also a reflection of such. 
So, <laughs> you, go ahead. No, okay. So I was going to just ask you, uh, how do we identify these negative thoughts that are constantly running through our head when they happen, and how do we change them? How, how do we become aware of that cycle? Well, so in order to be that first step is to become aware. And one of the, one of the powerful tools is to actually stop and reflect on, upon it. So as you're thinking, as you're picking up the cigarette, think, right? Pause for a moment. There's so much value in pausing. Just stop for a minute. Right. Look at the cigarette. Why, what is going on in your thought? What, what are some of the ideas? So just run through a list of what are the thoughts that just came in. I want to take it because it's satisfying me, but why do you want to take it? So, so start asking yourself some empowering questions. I, I truly believe that we do need to start asking ourselves a more um, empowering question or better questions. Um, instead of just continue to let it go and and not bother with it, be curious about every action that you're doing. Okay. That would be step number one. Yeah, that that's great. That's great stuff. And and I've also heard of the thought, the idea of writing down your thoughts. They say getting your thoughts down on paper can crystallize them. And and when you see them in black and white, uh, a lot of people feel that that that's a powerful step in in changing that cycle. Yes, it is. And I encourage people to do a journaling. So I, I encourage people to do a judgment journal. As we're going through the day, start picking up and noticing uh, what is it that you're judging, whether it's, oh, my gosh, you know, that, that microphone, it looks so blue. That microphone looks awful, so messy, my desk looks. So anytime you have those uh, judgment thoughts, start writing it down or keep tracking your phone. Um, and when you go back at the end of the day, you look at what you wrote. And it's going to shock you how much you judge in that 24 hours a period. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, there's also an aspect of cognitive psychology, too, where uh, you can, you can devise, an, an, uh, devise an experiment to test your hypothesis. You know, so a, a lot of it, you know, I guess comes down to scientific thinking, right? I mean, becoming sort of like a scientist with the way you think about things. Yeah. And, and you know how like a three year old asks a lot of questions like why, why, why is the sky blue? Why is the light bulb on? There's a lot of why. But as adults, we stop asking why. Yeah. So start asking why. I think that's very important. Great stuff. Michelle, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about confidence because that's a subject that I think can benefit anyone across any spectrum of life. Uh, I'll start by asking you, what, what do you think is the key to confidence? And, and after you answer that, uh, I, I thought maybe we could share our definitions of, of what confidence is. But, but what, do you, what do you feel is the key to developing uh, solid confidence? I believe the solid, the way that we develop a solid confidence is through the inner knowing. The inner knowing does not require any evidence or proof. I think people are really confused about what confidence means and what self-confidence means. Confidence is very general. It's something that you have done in the past and you can do it. You know that you can do it again and again. Now, when it comes to self-confidence, a lot of times you don't have the evidence to prove to you that these things work. So you're relying on the sense of inner knowing that if I were to use the same strength and same strategy or similar strategy, I can perform this task that's in front of me without seeing the evidence or without knowing what the outcome would be. So self-confidence is really... Um, the key and the distinction between 
knowing that you can do it without seeing evidence versus you know you have done it in the past, you can do it again. Great. So there's two different dis- distinctions between the two. Great stuff. So if you could, if you were, uh, if you could define confidence, what is your definition of what confidence is? My definition of confidence is someone who is good at performing a task and know that they can perform it again. Okay. Now, my definition of confidence is I believe that confidence is born of preparation. I think if you prepare mentally for whatever it is you're engaging in, uh, that gives you the feeling of what you just described. Hey, I can do it. So, in fact, from a sportscaster perspective, the more prepared we are to go on the air, the more successful our our broadcast will be. And I think that kind of extends to any any uh, activity. Uh, does that hold merit with you? It, it does. It does. It, it, and it, I think it's really relate, related because I said um, from experience, right? So if you're a sports player and you're doing, you're playing, playing football for the very first time, you never play in the past. So the way that you get better is you keep playing it. You keep practicing it. You get better and better. But the first day, you know, that's go back to the day that when you first pick up that football, you had no experience in knowing that you can play well. How did you know? It was that sense of no inner knowing, you, that sen- inner sense of self-confidence. You know what? I can really, I, I throw, I do the passes really well. I can throw balls really well. Right. You just know. Right. So what are some ways, if you could identify some ways to, de- some concrete ways to develop confidence, and not only to develop it, but to maintain it over time? So practice definitely make perfection. And I do believe that everyone should be keeping a, a, a humble brag journal. <laughs> we talk about <laughs> writing journals, but I think it's important, especially if we're cultivating that self-confidence, the inner knowing of what your different, what your uniqueness is. It's very important to keep a humble brag journal. So in the humble brag journal, what you do is you highlight all the things that you have accomplished so far, all the skills and all the achievement that you have you have uh, retained right. up until this point, right. and you you brag yourself about it, you reward yourself about it, and every time you go back there, it's a it's acting as a reminder that this is this is true. I do have unique gifts. I do have a talent, and now there's a new task in front of me. How can I translate these gifts, these talents, into the new skills that I need to do? I love it. And, you know, we call those reference experiences, experiences you can draw on from your past that prove that you can do what you're setting out to do. I think that's great stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk to you uh, while I have you here about your podcast, uh, which is called Perfectly Normal. Uh, Talk about your podcast, you know, what's involved with it, and what do you you focus on? What What do you hope to accomplish with it? Yeah. My podcast is called Perfectly Normal, and I recently did a rebranding, so it's now called Michelle Quay Podcast. And on this podcast, I invite guest speakers to bring in their transformational, inspirational journey and their story. I want to be able to be that person who inspires the audience to start taking action. And by, um, by inviting these guests to my show, I'm hoping that they set an example for our listeners to the audience that everything is possible. Our dream is possible. So dream big and go out there and dream big because these are perfect examples. Great stuff. Now, is your podcast available everywhere podcasts are heard, such as Apple, Spotify, etc.? Yes. Yes, they are available everywhere. 
Great. You also have a Facebook show, Michelle, called Live Coffee Talk. Uh, uh, how can people uh, learn about that and get involved with it as well? Yeah, the Coffee Talk is also a live show, which I stream onto my private Facebook group. Uh, I do publish the recorded episode on my website, and they can check out the previous episode on elevatelifecoaching.org slash coffee talk. And I had some amazing guests who came on and talk about their transformational journey, their life in business, and all the struggles that they have experienced. And I truly believe that every single one of us have really, you know, we, we may look very different, but our stories are really the same. Great stuff. And before I let you go, Michelle, I have to just touch on, on the the events of the world right now, specifically uh, COVID-19 and how it has just uprooted every aspect of society. Uh, we are making strides to put this pandemic behind us. Uh, vaccinations are available pretty much everywhere now, but we're still not out of the woods. We have the, the, the Delta variant, which is uh, quite problematic, particularly uh, to those folks who uh, do not yet have a vaccine. But what is your message of hope and inspiration as we deal through these very challenging times. We, we've never seen anything like it in our lives. Over 600,000 people have lost their lives to this. But, uh, but what is your message of, of hope uh, as we deal uh, with these uh, very, very choppy waters? And, and how, do we, how do we maintain a, a happy and, and positive mindset through all these, uh, this particular tough time? Mm-hmm. As you're describing what we had experienced in 2020, there's a, there's a phrase that came to my mind and it, it's, it goes, there's a quote, actually. It goes, we cannot change the course of the wind, but we can change the course of our sails. Great. So when it comes to natural disasters or things that we cannot control in our lives, there's a couple of ways that we deal with it. We can deal with it with anger. We can deal with it with that, um, that victim-minded, you know, these bad things happen to us. Or we can approach it from a more accepting um, place, accepting the fact that this is not something that we could control. This is not something that we could have changed or prevent. None of us know that it was going to happen. But what can we do to move forward? What, can we, what are some of the actions that we can take on an individual level to help to create a society that we can all live in? Does that mean that I have to put on my mask when I go out? Maybe that would be a personal choice for you to think about how you want to bring a harmony into the society. So you can't change the course of the wind, but you can definitely change the course of your sail. Yeah, that that's so true. You know, it, it it's all about focusing on on the control controllables, right? Control what you can control. Everything else is is out of your hands. And I think you know, developing that kind of perspective is so important, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's, it gives us the opportunity to see what is possible rather than feel limited. All right, Michelle, how can people uh, follow you? How can they reach out to you if, if, if they want to uh, benefit from your services? Uh, you know, how are you available, for example, social media and, and the like? I am on all the social media platforms that you can think of. <laughs> <laughs> but the best way to find me would be on my website at elevatelifecoaching.org. There's all these information that's available. I, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere. Well, Michelle, uh, you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, chance to, to uh, find you and, and talk with you. I, the time usually flies by when we do 
uh, podcast. This certainly was was no exception. Uh, I'd like to thank you for for being with us, and uh, I know our audience is really going to benefit from the great knowledge that you've shared. And uh, and uh, again, thank you so much. And 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 I'll uh, I'll look to keep in touch as best I can as well. Thank you so much, John. All right. Her name is Michelle Kuei, and uh, she is a motivational keynote speaker, among many other uh, endeavors, and uh, we invite you to check her out at her website. Uh, We invite you to stay with us next week. We'll have another edition of the podcast. You've been listening to to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. Until next week, so long, everybody. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, Rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.